I just want to share a quick story, and I know I'll be fine with it, um, just about how some of this stuff goes on in our lives. Um, for those of you who are Facebook friends uh, with, with uh, Harold Milligan, know that Harold has been on a journey these last three or four weeks. Um, uh, uh, it was about three weeks ago on a Tuesday, because the Tuesday is key, right? On a Tuesday, um, Harold posted on his uh, Facebook page that he had just had his car stolen from the 99 cent store. So they came in for a bargain and got a real one when they took your car. And um, then uh, through a whole bunch of different stuff, it ended up that Harold got his car back. There were a couple things that were involved in it. There was a phone there and there was a gift card, but there was also some paint on the car and some other stuff. Um, But he got his car back. He had to get it at an impound, but he got his car back. And so all of us who are on Facebook with, with Harold rejoiced and said, God is good, right? So then the next Tuesday, his car got stolen again from his apartment building. And it's like a 96 Honda or something. 92 Honda, and apparently that's like one of the highest stolen cars in the world. So it's, But it's your car. And so I text Harold that day, and I'm like, so sorry, Harold. This is just such a, a yucky thing that you have to deal with this yet again because Harold's ministry really is driving people and getting people to different places and helping out with doctor's appointments and airport drives and just different places, the ways that he does it. So I, I sent him this text and I, I'm like, sorry, Harold, is there anything that we can do? And he goes, no, no, I'm okay. You know, the police are looking for it and everything's figured out. He goes, Satan's trying to stop me, but, and he said this, you said, game on Satan. Game on Satan. That in the midst of this spiritual struggle of getting a a 90s Honda stolen a couple times, um, that that you're seeing this as a spiritual struggle and wanting to trust in God. And God be praised, car is back. Yet again, it's in the parking lot, but it has one of those blank keys. So if you want a car and you didn't get a good drive to church, you can go outside and turn the ignition and you're all good. But we, and one other thing, Debbie Bierman promised Harold that if he got his car back, that she would go immediately down to the auto store and buy him a club. So I think he has a club now, and hopefully we get no more Facebook stories about Harold's car being stolen. But that's, I mean, it's, it's sort of indicative sometimes of some of the challenges that we face. We're trying to do what it is that God wants us to do. There are those things that come up that are barriers, are struggles, are challenges. And how do we think about those barriers, struggles, and challenges in a way that helps us lean more deeply on who God is and what his plan and his purpose is for our lives. And I praise God that this man at least sees that as his opportunity to lean on God's provision for his life. I want to welcome forward Krista Smith. Krista is going to pray on your behalf that during this time of uh, me sharing with you from God's word, that God speaks here, that he touches us in ways that we need to be challenged, encouraged, transformed, and changed. And... um, Praise on your behalf that God speaks to us in powerful ways. Krista, please lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for Scott, and he's going to be sharing your word this morning. Help us to remember that we need to be thankful every day for the freedom we have in this country Mm -hmm. so we can worship. And we remember the men and women who have fought and continue to fight for our freedom. And we will never forget and can't forget what you did for us in the sacrifice 
so that we could be free, free from the bondage of sin and live with you eternally. We all come today in different places. We have different needs, spiritually, emotionally, physically. We know that you can meet us in those needs just where we need to be met through Scott, your vessel, this morning. We ask all of this in your heavenly name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Krista. So in um, flipping through the channels uh, on television recently, I um, ended up spending some time watching. There's a couple different shows that are pretty similar. One of them is called North Woods Law, and the other one is called Lone Star Law. Those are two programs that I've watched. What these shows are about, um, I think they're on Animal Planet. I might be wrong. And I watch a lot of Animal Planet because... For whatever reason, Animal Planet is just its so interesting watching animals and what goes on. But part of um, the, this show's premise or these show's premise is they follow game wardens from Texas and I think it's Maine and um, Vermont or New Hampshire or something like that. And these game wardens have the job of protecting the their state's resources in the forests and the lakes and all the outdoors area um, as people go out and hunt and fish and hike and do all the sorts of things that, um, that these officers do. And it's really insightful. It's helpful for me to understand what, what sort of um, challenges these sorts of fo folks face in their work and dangers and how they help people in a lot of different ways. And on one of the episodes that I was watching, it was, I think, the North Woods Law, and it was New Hampshire somewhere. Um, someone was lost in the woods while hiking. And as you can well imagine, if you're in some of these remote places and hiking, um, if you were lost, what do you do? I mean, how do you get out of there if you don't have a GPS or you don't know where you are or maybe you've, you're hurt or run out of supplies? In this particular case, they had received some sort of text message from somebody <coughs> Excuse me. they had twisted their ankle while hiking, and they were in a remote spot. Um, but nobody really knew exactly where they were, and they, they needed help, and then their phone died, so they couldn't get another message out. So these officers come together, and they try to figure out how to organize their search party, and of course, um, in this particular case, they did what smart people do in this, this uh, sort of situation, is they bring a tracking dog. And if you've ever seen these dogs, they're just amazing. These dogs have incredible uh, nose noses for scents and being able to follow people and they had an article from this person who was hiking that they could have this dog and they shove it in the dog's nose so the dog can take a good whiff and then they take the the dog to the particular place where they know the hiker has been in the past and then they have the dog follow the track so that they can find this person and give them the sort of help that they need well as you can well imagine um a dog although it's scent uh it's, its sense of smell is very strong, still doesn't always go exactly to the right spot. And you're sort of watching this episode, and, and it's in the forest. So this, this dog, and the handler is behind him with a, with a couple other officers, and the dog is like over here and over here, and it jumps in the swamp for a little bit, and they're like, what in the wild is the person doing in the swamp? But the dog's trying to pick up the scent, and it goes over here for a while, climbs a hill, and then it comes back, and still trying to pick up exactly where this person went. And, and you can... <coughs> 
Imagine that in those sorts of environments when it's not clear where the dog is leading you that these guys get frustrated and they're like, boy, I hope he can pick it up and I hope we can get where we need to go and give this person the sort of help that they need. Now, thankfully, <coughs> excuse me, in this story, after a while, and it took, I think, probably about two, three hours of following this dog, that they found the person and, of course, they were able to provide help and they were able to get them out and get them water and all the things that they needed and they got them back. But I was thinking about that as I was watching this, that sometimes in my walk with God, it can feel like trying to follow a tracking dog that's trying to pick up the scent in terms of what God is calling me to do. You ever have that feeling that God sort of calls you over here and calls you to do this thing but then all of a sudden there's something over here that you wonder, okay, Lord, am I not hearing you right? Is there something over here that I need to be doing? Or you go over here and this is a place where God has called you to and yet it doesn't seem like there's fruit being born. There's not great things happening. So God, did I, did I miss it? Am I in the wrong spot? Is this something that you called me to something else? Following Jesus can be a really confusing and challenging thing. And I think the older I get, the more confusing and challenging it seems to me. Is there anyone else in that same sort of boat? Maybe a couple of you. Some of you think you, 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 you're, you're growing and learning. Maybe that's my problem, is I'm just not learning, and which would make sense because I'm a stubborn goofball sometimes. But for us to ask the question, how do we do the good work of following Jesus? Because from the very beginning of his ministry, People had that problem. How do I do this well? How do I follow Jesus? What is it, Lord Jesus, that you're trying to tell me? And sometimes it was really confusing. Turn in your scriptures to a particularly confusing passage for people to understand what it was that Jesus was trying to tell them. It's from the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse 25. And uh, if you're looking in your Bibles, it's probably about one quarter of the way from the end. So it's three quarters in. Matthew, Mark, Luke in the Gospel of John. Chapter 7, verse 25. It begins by saying these words. At that point, and Jesus had done a healing and then he'd come to Jerusalem to teach at a festival and teach the people. Um, and usually he was centered in the temple and sometimes in um, the streets. But after... After all this had happened, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Because Jesus was getting a reputation. Here he is speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him, the Jewish leaders. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, thank you, Don, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. So this passage starts with people already a little bit confused. They're not sure if Jesus is who they think he might be. Now, for those of you who don't know the story of the Messiah, 
In the Old Testament, we are taught that after the nation of Israel was put into exile and enslaved and, and, and that they returned to Jerusalem, but they were really a nation without a lot of power. And even in this time of Jesus, Rome had taken over. And so the, the um, Jewish people were an enslaved nation. There's this, this message that constantly weaves through the whole Old Testament about the Messiah. And the Messiah would come and free the people from their oppression, free the people, the, the God's people, the nation of Israel, to again be in a position, a place of glory, and a place uh, where, where they were free. And so for the people to say, wonder whether or not Jesus was the Messiah was actually a daily activity because there was this longing in the Jewish people that had gone on for centuries. Where is the Messiah? Where will our freedom come from? Where will our hope come from? And so when they see Jesus doing things like miracles, then you start to question, is this the Messiah? But the problem is that they knew where Jesus was from and they thought when the Messiah comes, we're not going to know. He's from Nazareth. He was from the Galilee, the province of Galilee. And they thought, well, it's going to be one of those things where the Messiah is just going to show up and going to be this sort of mystery man. They're confused. Is he the Messiah or isn't he? And they think that because they know where he's from, he can't be the Messiah. But Jesus' words in verses 28 and 29 betray them. Here's what it says there again. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. See, these people are being confronted with a Messiah who says, You think that you should know this about me, but you're not really listening to what God has told you for centuries. Over and over in the text of Scripture, the Old Testament, you look at books like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. There's all these prophecies about the Messiah, but the people didn't know them. And they weren't understanding them enough to be able to say, but wait, even though we know where Jesus is from, maybe he is in fact the Messiah. Why? Because he's fulfilling all these things that God had written of before. And because Jesus was united to his Father, he says, I know him and he knows me. He was saying, even though you're confused, I know exactly what I'm going to be about. So just watch me. Watch me and it will become more and more clear that I am, in fact, the Messiah. The passage continues, verse 30. At this they tried to seize him. But no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me? And where I am, you not, cannot come. Now just, I read like six verses there. Do any of you really understand what went on there? Like, it's confusing. 
what was Jesus really doing here? He was saying these words, I'm going to go somewhere, but you can't come with me. I'm going to go a place that you cannot find me. And yet he's telling these people that, uh, to look to him, to follow him. So these people, you can well imagine, are confused. How am I supposed to follow you if you say you're going someplace where I cannot go to? How am I supposed to find you if you say you're going to be in a place where I cannot find? He's making it challenging and confusing. Yeah, yes, we know the story enough, right? We know that Jesus is already beginning to prophesy about his death and his resurrection. He's, gonna, he's prophesying about heaven. He's prophesying about what is coming. But these people in this moment are going, I don't know what you're asking me, Jesus. I don't know how to do this. How am I supposed to follow you when you give me these sorts of confusing words? And in the midst of all of this, you're ticking people off that can have real consequence in my life too. How am I supposed to, are you calling me to follow you who are already seeming to get in trouble while I don't understand what I'm following you towards? It's indicative in many ways of what it means to follow Jesus. It's hard sometimes. It's complicated. The message, the clarity of what it means to follow Jesus sometimes, it's just not clear. The words sometimes can be very confusing. And how we then express following Jesus becomes complex. Let me give you an example. And I'm going to ruffle some feathers here. I already understand that. But I think it's important because it is an elephant in the room and I want to be aware of elephants in the room. How do we follow Jesus when we think about smoking? How do we think about that? And one of the reasons I'm bringing this up is because um, I've had a couple conversations even this week about it. In part because, as many of you know, we have a smoking area at church. It's right up here by the Rose Garden, right near the road. And um, had a couple conversations about that this week. That came up to me, and I, I hope I'm offending, not offending those people who I had those conversations work, but with, but these conversations have come up regularly, and I think it's important to address it. And here's some of the message that I've heard, and I just, I'm, 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 I want to do it well, but I've heard, you know, some of the challenge that people have is that smoking is not a good thing. And we, in having a smoker's area right by the street, are really, in essence, giving some approval to this thing that is not a good thing. And I'll be honest that I am not on the smoker bandwagon. I, I, you who smoke, I'm not judging you. I'm, I'm not doing that, but I don't think it's a good habit. But, on the other hand, does Jesus love people who smoke? Clearly he does, right? Are we called to love people who smoke? Yes, we are. Are we called to be hospitable to people who smoke? In the same way that we're called to be hospitable to people who, are not, who do not smoke. So when I, as the lead pastor of this community, ask the question, should we provide an area for people who have that particular habit, people that we love, people that we care for, people that we long to see transformation in, but understand that God's transformation can be a long and hard journey sometimes, do we make a space for them? And the answer that I have to give as the lead pastor in this community is yes. 
we also need to hear and listen to those people for whom having that area, and sometimes even where it is, is not a hospitable thing as well. You have these sides. You have these voices. And honestly, if you're looking for an answer, I don't have one yet. It's been at least a six-year conversation in my time here. And it's been convoluted and complex sometimes. Because that's what following Jesus is sometimes. It is showing love to people in challenging ways. And hearing different voices that sometimes tell you to do polar opposite things that both sound like they might be Jesus. And we have things like that all over. We have things like that when we think about things like the gender question about sexuality, when we think about how we engage with other religions, how we think about our neighbors who are very politically opposed to us. All of these conversations are incredibly complex and challenging because to follow Jesus when we really try to do it right and well and in love and in faithfulness to who God has called us to be, it is challenging. It's hard. And these aren't the only confused people. I am. I am sometimes. How do we live in the world that we live in seeking to follow Jesus when sometimes things are just so abundantly unclear? That's the struggle. That's the struggle with this particular conversation. But that's the struggle with many other conversations. And friends, I understand there's some of you out there who are saying right now, Pastor, it's not hard for me. I know exactly how I feel about that and exactly how I think about that. The only thing is, is if we were to have conversation, really hear about it, you think you're following Jesus with how sure you are. I guarantee you there's going to be somebody in this room who stands up and says, I'm following Jesus with something that is the exact opposite. Because sometimes... As followers of Jesus, God calls us towards even those different things and to live into those things very, very differently. That's what makes it hard. And if you're a non-Christian and you're thinking that pastor's calling me to follow Jesus and it's going to be an easy thing and everything's going to be great, I'm telling you right now, sometimes it gets harder the more you follow Jesus. That's honest. I don't want to be a false prophet. I don't want to be someone who doesn't tell the truth. I want to be truthful. And following Jesus is hard sometimes. The passage continues, and Jesus gives us some clarity on how at least we can approach the challenge. Verse 37. On the last day and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been yet glorified. Here he's, he's giving us some clarity. We're asking the question, how do we follow Jesus in the complexity of life? He says this, if you want to find the Father, look for me. I know him. And we're one. 
Jesus is, is claiming that union with the Father. And so if we're trying to follow God's call, if we're trying to follow Jesus, then look to Jesus and say, I will do what it is that you do. As you learn more about who Jesus is, witness the things that he's doing, then go and do the same things that he has done. Then you know you're following Jesus. It means that we go, and we know this, we go out and we love people. We go out and we show grace to people. We go out from this place and we call people to transformation, right? So we don't just say, hey, you know, again, going back to the example, smoking is okay. We want to call people towards transformation. But we give space in that claim to say, as God wills it and in God's timing, he will do his work. And God be praised. I see those stories of transformation in this community. There are people who have been in old ways and experienced new life. Even a couple stories this week that I've heard have been so encouraging of people who six months, a year ago, were stuck in places of darkness and sin. And yet, because they allowed Christ to transform them and they knew that God was calling them to be transformed and people were speaking about God's transformation in their life, now they see it and the power of the Spirit has come and made them new. We know that we are called to go out and serve the poor, to visit the sick and in prison, to, to feed those who are hungry, to give water to those who are thirsty. We are called to share the gospel. We know that. So if we want to follow Jesus, it becomes oftentimes in the complexity of life simply about loving and showing grace and doing the things that we are absolutely fundamentally sure about. It means that we know that these things are clear. Over and abundantly in Scripture, we know that God has called us to forgive one another. That God has called us to encourage one another. That God has called us to care for one another. That God has called us to sometimes in love and in grace give each other a good kick in the pants. We know that. So in all these complexities, sometimes I don't know other things, but I know those things. Sometimes that's what we do. And sometimes when we do those things in doing them, the next day maybe God opens up a door that we didn't see before. Maybe the next week all of a sudden we get some clarity and say, oh yeah, you know, in doing these things all of a sudden I can see it differently. The words of Jesus over time became much more clear. Even these words saying, come to me who, and I drink from me, the living water, and I will give it to you. He was talking about the Spirit. That wasn't clear to them for yet years ahead. But over time it became clear, especially as people were following him and doing what it is that he called them to do. But, and here's the caution, friends. If you're willing to do that, then you'd better be ready. Because when you and I follow Jesus, our car gets stolen. When you and I follow Jesus, stuff happens. When you and I follow Jesus, persecution comes. When you and I follow Jesus, addictions sometimes re-rear their ugly heads in their lives. Or sin comes. Or condemnation comes. Because when we are about truly following Jesus, Satan and sin 
Don't like that so much. One of the scariest things in the world for Satan is people who are sold out in following Jesus. And he's going to try to stop that in any way that he can, including steal your car twice in two weeks. Because that's sometimes how Satan works. And for us to understand that, so that when we say, I'm in, understand them, be ready. Because the battle is going to get stronger. The challenge sometimes might be greater. The passage concludes, verses 40 through 44. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is a prophet. Others said, they affirmed it, he is the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem? The town where David lived, of course, again, these people didn't know the story, and so they were confused. Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. You see what happens almost immediately? People start splitting hairs. They start to get into this mode of, okay, you say go over here, but then we're, when we're over here, what color do we paint the walls? What kind of carpet should we have? It's the splitting hairs of trying to follow Jesus. They're, they're trying to say, is he, you know, was he from, he's not, he's from Galilee. Wasn't he supposed to come from Bethlehem? It's the splitting, it's the questioning whether or not what you're hearing is real. And friends, if we're asking that question, and oftentimes we do, I hear the, the theological discussions and dialogues all the time. I'm, I'm on I've actually unfollowed several Facebook pages because people get into the splitting hairs of following Jesus instead of just simply sometimes living into those things that we know we can be very, very sure of. of Loving, grace, forgiveness, accountability, encouragement, worshiping God above all else, loving my neighbor as myself, serving the poor, caring for the widow and the orphan, true religion, right? Living in a true religion. And the problem is, in splitting the hairs, frankly, we just get distracted, which Satan loves. He loves it. He loves it if we were to have a two-hour church discussion about how we deal with the smokers area. I'm just saying that. He would love it. Because then we wouldn't be talking about how to share the gospel in Redland. Then we wouldn't be talking about how to care for the the, the folks who need care and loving those who need to be loved. So, okay, asking a question again. How do we do this? How do we follow Jesus in a way that can be transformational for our lives? Well, let me ask you this question. How many of you believe in gravity? And if you don't believe in gravity, then just do this, okay? Pick up your pen and do this, all right? We believe in gra- we function right now with gravity. There is nobody right now who's holding on to the bench thinking that suddenly the rules for gravity are going to change and you're going to float up in the air. Am I correct? Right? We are going to leave this building today believing in gravity. You will stand up. That's actually a function of you dealing with gravity. You will walk. You're dealing with gravity. You will spend time... Um, interacting with people, picking a cookie up from a tray, pouring coffee into a cup, expecting that it stays there. All of those are functions of you believing that gravity is a very real thing. You're going to get in your car eventually, and you're going to drive away from this place, and you're not going to be looking for the 
reaffirm gravity button in your car because you don't need one. You're going to be able to drive home and get where you need to go. We believe in gravity. We function every moment of every day trusting that gravity is real. Yes, we do. How many of you know Christ's love is real? How many of you know that God has given you the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you? How many of you know that God has commissioned you to be his gospel, his hope, his love to the world around you? How many of you believe that? Do you believe in that like you believe in gravity? Do you? Because if you do, it means that everything that you do is altered by that truth. Everything. Because everything you do is altered by the truth that you believe in gravity. Everything. You lay in bed at night believing gravity is real. Do you interact with everything around you in every moment of every day, believing the Holy Spirit's power and presence and love? See, when we are living in that, trusting in that, we're doing exactly what Jesus said when he said, I know the Father. He and I are one. We're united. That's what he says in this passage to his people. And because I know the Father and I live into all that belief, some of the things that I say to you may be confusing, but I'm doing what it is that God has called me to do. And because I believe so deeply in his love and his power for me and his calling for me on this earth while I am here, then some of those things that you see in me might be confusing to you, but they're not to me because I'm just following my Father. It means that when you and I live into that in our own belief, in the every second of every moment, of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, of our entire life, that in those moments, everything is affected by that belief. That as we interact with even the hardest, biggest challenges, we're united with the Father. We're following Jesus and doing what it is that Jesus did. Love, grace, forgiveness, care, support, encouragement for the world around us. Showing the world Jesus. That's what following Jesus is. Sometimes I just want to say to people when you're in the really challenging stuff, and I actually had a conversation this week that I said, you know what you can do? You can take one more breath and take one more step in Christ's love. And when you get one more breath and one more step, you know what you can do after that? Take one more breath and one more step in Christ's love. And when you're, when you're there, you know what you can do next? One more breath. And one more step in Christ's love. Sometimes, friends, when it gets really confusing, that's exactly what following Jesus is. Let's pray. You are Messiah who is united to the Father. You and the Father are one. And you know the Father. And he knows you. And we have never seen the Father as you've seen the Father. But we know your story. And you have shown yourself to this world in a way that we can understand better. And you have called us to things that we can be clear about. 
We pray, O oh God, that as we seek to live into the challenge of following you, that we can do so in the clear message that you have given us to be love, to be grace, to be forgiveness to those who have sinned against us, to be encouragement to those who are discouraged, to be comfort to the widow, to be support for the orphan, to be food for the hungry, place to sleep for the homeless, all those things that your true religion is about. Lord, we know we can do those things, that we can love and love deeply and love even when it's hard, that we can take one more breath, one more step in your love and your grace. I pray, Lord, that you empower us to that end, that we can go out from here, Lord, even if we're asking some of those big questions, that we may do so being willing to say, I'm not sure, but I want to follow you. I'm not clear, but I can take one more step. It's not, it's, it's, my future isn't sure, except if I know my future is sure in Jesus. And so I want to be with you. I want to live in relationship with you. I want to live knowing you, and then knowing you, knowing the Father. Then, when that happens, Lord, you're going to do what you want in us. Do what you want in me. I pray that you do that today. Lord, empower us to that end as we go from this place. In Christ's name, amen. Please stand.